Hi folks, I want to welcome you to our adult Sunday school time here at the Kerwinsville Christian Church. And in our adult Sunday school time, we've been doing a survey through the Old Testament. And we are up to those historical books of First and Second Kings, Second Chronicles, and we've entitled this section of study, Israel's Kings and Prophets. So today we're in Lesson 17, and we're going to look at Queen Athaliah of Judah and Jehoash, who is also from Judah. Now, we're going to find this to be a very interesting lesson because I want you to remember there was a promise that David had made, that, that he had received from the Lord, that the Lord had made to David in the Davidic covenant, that he would never lack anyone on the throne of David. Well, it appears when we go through this narrative today that that's not true because of Athaliah, but we're going to see how God works that out through the events that take place in this passage. So let's start off. We're going to be focusing on 2 Kings chapter 11 verses 1 through chapter 12 verse 21 as well as 2 Chronicles chapter 22 verse 10 through chapter 24 verse 27. So let's begin. We're going to talk about Athaliah. Upon hearing that Ahaz was killed with his brothers, Athaliah seized the throne. Remember he was up visiting Jehoram, the king of Israel, and Jehu, who is now the king of Israel, had Jehoram killed as well as Ahaz, as well as Ahaz's, uh, Isaiah's, excuse me, Isaiah's brothers and his sons are all killed. After that bloodshed that had taken place, and Isaiah's being allowed to return to Jerusalem to be buried with his fathers, because Jehu said he was the son of Jehoshaphat, what we see happening now is Athaliah, who is the daughter of King Ahab from the northern kingdom, decides to seize the throne. So here's what she does. To make sure she's got the throne, Athaliah solidified her control by killing all of the remaining heirs to the throne of David. And you would say, why would she have to do that? Most of them are dead. Now, listen, remember now, with the kings at this point, they had many wives and many concubines. And with that, they would have many children, male and female. And so to solidify her rule, she would have had to kill all of the male children that were somehow related to the line of David. So it wouldn't just be immediate heirs to Isaiah or Jehoram. It would also be probably somebody who was related to Jehoshaphat, removed or so forth. So we're going to see that she's going to solidify her rule or try to by killing all of the heirs to the throne of David. But I want you to notice how God does things. He's not expressly mentioned in this, but you can see how God works out the details. So, however, Jehoshaphat, that is Isaiah's sister, took the, his son Jehoahaz and hid him from Athaliah. Now, we're going to find out, because of the timing of things, the way it's recorded, that Jehoahaz is probably an infant. So, Jehoshaphat, which is the granddaughter, excuse me, the daughter of uh, the granddaughter of Athaliah, 
she is going to hide this baby who is an heir to the throne. So Jehoash was hidden with his nurse in the temple for six years while Athaliah ruled Judah. So while Athaliah is ruling Judah, the baby and its nurse are hidden in the temple to make sure that it's alive. Now, here's what I want you to notice, because the text then immediately fast forwards to the seventh year. So what's significant about that? Remember, I told you with biblical narratives, you are only told the information that you need to know, that God wants you to know, and it doesn't tell you everything. So here we have that as soon as the news comes that Isaiah's death is happening, we also see now that Athaliah takes the throne and we see that the baby is hidden in the temple and then we fast forward to the seventh year. What does that tell us? We don't need to know everything that goes on during Athaliah's reign. We already know, though, that it's probably not good and it probably has something to do with Baal. So what we want to see now is, is that we're fast-forwarding seven years later, and here we are. In the seventh year, after Athaliah seized the throne, Jehoiada brought troops into the temple. Now, Jehoiada is the high priest. And so he brings loyal soldiers, loyal warriors into the temple. Now Jehoiada, the high priest, took an oath from the troops and showed them the king's son. So here's what's going on. They're getting ready to get rid of Athaliah, and they're getting ready to make his son king. But he needs to make sure in this conspiracy, and that's what exactly what's going on here, there is a conspiracy that they have the loyalty of the troops, that they are willing to do what they need to do. And so he gets an oath that they're going to do what they have to do, but they also show them the king's son, which would be more of an incentive to do what they have to do, because these soldiers would have been sworn to protect the king. So the troops were divided into three groups and charged with protecting the king's son. So the scripture goes out and lays out for you what each group did. One would rest, the other two would guard certain things, but they would be sure to protect the king's son. Now these troops were to kill anyone who came near to the king's son. So this is how serious it is. They were told... Anybody comes near that boy, you kill them. And you're saying, George, you're talking about the king. Why are you calling him a boy? Well, you're going to find out that the Jehoash is only, are you ready for this, seven years old. That's why I said he was an infant when Athaliah assumed the throne. Now, the high priest gave the troops the spears and shields belonging to King David. Now, in the temple, they would have storehouses of many things that were dedicated to the Lord. And in the temple as well, there were probably these ceremonial spears and shields that belonged to King David himself. So rather than just having their normal shields and spears, they would have the royal ones from the house of David. So this is significant. These troops surrounded the king's son 
with their swords drawn. So they, they're meaning business here. So they're surrounding them. They're all decked out in the apparel of the Davidic household. They got their swords drawn. This is serious business. They are going to coronate and install Jehoash as king of Judah. They brought out the king's son, crowned him, and gave him the testimony. Now, you probably are wondering when you're reading that, what is the testimony? Folks, that is another way of saying the law. So they gave to him the testimony. Probably it was the scroll of Deuteronomy. Or maybe the scroll that it contained the first five books of the, of the Torah. That is the Pentateuch. So they gave him God's word and they crowned him. But that's not all they did. They made Jehoash king, anointed him, and proclaimed, Long live the king! So there was a celebration in the temple. Now, obviously, this is going to draw some attention, and exactly what that's what happens. So because of the commotion at the coronation, Athaliah went to the temple. Remember, she's the queen mother who's established herself as the queen of Judah. She has seized power. She's been ruling probably a brutal reign. She hears what's going on. She heads to the temple to see what all the commotion is about, especially if she's hearing shouts of long live the king. When she saw the king standing by the pillar, now there would be a pillar in the temple that would be customary for the king to stand by when he becomes king. When she saw the king standing by the pillar as the custom called for, she cried out treason. She basically cried out that they were committing treason against her. And look, that happens all the time. Whenever you see somebody who is in power and then power is taken away from them, they cry out treason. The high priest ordered her to be taken out of the temple. So remember, he's got some men with him. He's got some dudes that are, that are warriors who were sworn to protect the king to make sure that everything is okay. So he orders that she be taken out of the temple. But that's not all what they're supposed to do with her. They were to execute her and any who followed her. Basically, Jehoiada, the high priest, is making sure that she is executed and any of her followers, that means any of her aides, she would have had aides with her. There would have been those who would have been helping her in her rule. Any of those connected with Athaliah was to be killed. And that's exactly what the text is telling us here. So the high priest then established a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people. So he's getting them to recommit themselves back to the Lord. Now, why would he have to do that? Well, I'm telling you, being the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, she would have introduced Baal worship to the culture of Judah. And because of that, the people would need to reestablish themselves in the covenant, in the testimony, in the law and reestablish themselves as God's people. The covenant called for them to be the Lord's people. 
That is to worship the Lord alone only. So he's doing this. There is, it's a reestablishment of who they are as God's people. So then here's what happens. The people then went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. So obviously in Jerusalem, because of Athaliah, and maybe because of her grandson, Isaiah, and also because of Jehoram, there was this temple of Baal. So they tore it down. But not only that, the people destroyed its altars and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, between the altars. So they're eradicating Baal worship from Jerusalem. The troops then escorted the king to the palace and he was seated on the thrones, the throne of kings. So he was seated on the throne of king, the throne of his fathers. That's where he was seated. And the people rejoiced and Jehoash became king over Judah when he was seven years old. So again, remember, when Athaliah assumed power and seized the throne, he would have been probably a little less than one year, maybe a year old. Six years later, he is crowned as king. He is seven years old. Think about that. A seven-year-old being king over a nation. Well, that brings us now to our second part, which is the remaining part of what we want to study today. It's a little bit longer section, and that's concerning Jehoash. And we're going to see that in 2 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 to 21, as well as 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 1 to 27. So here's what I want you to see. Here's what all of the details about Jehoash is. Now, he starts off good. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this right off the bat. He starts off in a good way. But he ends up in a bad way. Now, remember, up to this point, we've seen where so-and-so walked in the ways of his father, David. Great. So-and-so did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed after the ways of Ahab and so forth. Bad. And it's been one or the other. Now we have somebody who's going to appear in our text who starts out good but ends out bad. So here's what we're going to see about Jehoash. All right, so here we go. In the seventh year of Jehu's reign as king of Israel, Jehoash became king and reigned 40 years. Now, 40 years, if you've noticed, that's a long reign. So he would have reigned until he was 47 years old because he became king at seven, reigns 40 years. All right, so he reigned in the seventh year. He starts his reign in the seventh year of Jehu. When Jehoiada, while Jehoiada was the high priest, Jehoahaz did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So while Jehoiada was the high priest, all right, so while the guy who made sure that he was the one who was coronated to be king, while this guy is serving as the high priest, Jehoaz is doing what's right in the sight of the Lord, probably because of this elder statesman high priest who loves and worships the Lord. He's going to do what's right. 
Now, it does, again, mention something that we've seen before. Even though kings are doing right, they didn't necessarily do a complete job of it. And so here's what we're going to see, that however the high places were not taken down and the people continued to burn incense there. So rather than the temple being the central focus of their worship in Yahweh, they still continued to worship in the high places and nobody has the ability to take them down. All right, now, if you're going to see one of the great things that Jehoash does is that he restores or repairs the temple. Now remember, the temple was built by Solomon several generations before, hundreds of years before, and as with any building, there needs to be maintenance and upkeep. And so Jehoash decides that they need to do this. So Jehoash instructed the priests to take certain funds from the temple for its repairs. So he's saying, look, you guys need to start accumulating money for the repair of the temple. Now the assumption is, is this is taking place at the beginning of his reign. Now, but by the 23rd year of Jehoaz's reign, the priest had not made the repairs. So here we are, 23 years later, or 20 years later, how many years? After a long period of time, they still haven't made any repairs. They've been gathering all this money. They haven't made any repairs. What's going on here? <clears throat> Jehoash confronted the high priest and the other priests about not using the money for repairs. You're saying, wow, what, what are they doing with this? Well, you're going to see what's going on here in a moment by the decision that they need, that they make. Okay? So here is, he's confronting them. Why haven't you made the repairs? You've been gathering money for a long period of time. Here's what's going on. He commanded the priests to stop gathering money and start using what they have. So quit gathering the funds. You're not using it. Start using the money and repair the temple. Now here's the conclusion they came to. The priests agreed to separate the money for the, for the repairs from the money for the regular temple services. So here's what was going on. Remember, the system that Yahweh, that God had set up, was is that the priests were to live from the offerings, both the, the burnt offerings, the sacrifices that were made to the Lord. They were to live off of that. So what was happening is, is as they're gathering money for the repair of the temple, it's just thrown into the general kit. It's just thrown into the general bank account in the general whatever money supply that they have that they live from. So guess what? It's not being used for the temple because it's being used for the support of the priests. So the agreement is now, okay, the king's cracking, the, dropping the hammer, We've got to do this. How do we do this? Well, we're going to separate the funds. And we're going to keep account. So the high priest, Jehoiada, placed a chest for repair collections beside the, off, the altar. So he basically, the text will tell you, he put a chest with a hole in the top and people would put their put their offerings in it by the altar where they would come to make a burnt offering if they wanted to make a contribution for the repair of the building, of the temple, 
then that would be put in that. And then what would happen is that they would take that money and give an account for it, and they would pass it on. What do you mean pass it on? The money collected was then given to the craftsmen who were making the repairs. So they would give the money directly to the carpenters, the masons, whoever it is that is making repairs to the temple, they would be given the money to use that money for the repair of the temple. And the text goes to great lengths to tell us that they didn't need to give an accounting for it because they were honest men. And after the repairs were made, the remaining money was taken and made into temple articles, temple instruments, temple vessels. The remaining money would have been molded into those instruments to be used in the temple. Now, Jehoiada, it tells us, the high priest grew very old and died at the age of 130. So here's what I want you to see. This is amazing. This guy lives to be 130 years old. That's, that's, that's an amazing age for him. And being highly regarded, they buried Jehoiada among the kings in Jerusalem. This is, this is interesting. So the high priest was so regarded by the people and the leaders that he was buried among the kings of David, the sons of David in Jerusalem. He was given that much honor. Now, that sounds like a good testimony for him, but it actually signifies a shift for Jehoaz. What do you mean, George? Well, look and see what happens. We're going to see some things that are changing here now. So remember Heziel, he was anointed by Elisha to be king over Syria. And Elisha said he grieved because he saw what Haziel would be doing to the nation Israel and to the people of Israel. Well, after Haziel of Syria fought against Gath and took it, he turned his attention to Jerusalem. So he wanted to, he took Gath from the Philistines and now he's turning his attention to Jerusalem. So here's what happens. Jehoash gave Haziel the sacred things belonging to himself and his father. So these would be golden or silver items that would be used. And he basically gave him a ransom, a bribe, what so to speak. While, when Haziel received the ransom from Judah, he went away from Jerusalem. So that worked. Basically, he decides to go on, leave Jerusalem alone. He's been paid. He doesn't need to attack. Now, it gets worse. After Jehoiada's death, Jehoash began to listen to the leaders of Judah. So the implication of the text is, is that before this, when Jehoiada was alive, Jehoash relied on him for advice in doing what was right. But now that Jehoiada is dead, Jehoash begins to listen to the leaders of Judah. They led Judah to abandon the Lord and serve wooden images and idols. So guess what? These leaders are not good. What do they do? They end up leading the king to go back to serving what? The wooden images, which would be referring to the Ashtaroth poles. And who? 
Baal. They end up sending them back to the worship of the Canaanite gods. Because of their idolatry, the Lord's wrath came upon Judah and he sent prophets to them. So we're going to see in a moment one prophet who is mentioned, but the text tells us prophets. So there were many others that are not mentioned by the text who came and proclaimed the word of the Lord of judgment against them because of their idolatry. The prophets would testify against Judah, but they would not listen. So these prophets would show up, pronounce their judgment, the word of the Lord, but guess what? The people of Judah, the leaders of Judah, they're not listening. They're going to continue on in their sin. So then we see another instance where the Spirit of the Lord comes upon someone. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, and he spoke to Judah. So here's Zechariah. He would be a priest of the line of Aaron. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he begins to prophesy what God's word was for Judah. The Lord asked why they transgressed the law so that they did not prosper. So God's saying to him, why are you guys turning away from doing the law so that you don't prosper in what you're doing? Which is what exactly what the law said. If they turned away from the Lord, they would suffer. And guess what? They're not prospering. They are suffering. And so God is asking, why have you turned away so that you don't prosper anymore? They are not prospering because they had forsaken the Lord and he has forsaken them. So the reason why things are going bad is because you're not worshiping and following me. You've forsaken me. And because of that, I have forsaken you so that you have enemies now, so that you have disease and pestilence, the things that the law would call for. Now, here's what happens. Usually this is what happens when you hear a message that you don't want to hear. You get rid of the messenger. So the leaders conspired against Zechariah and he was stoned at the king's command. So there's not just a conspiracy of the leaders to get rid of him, because listen, this is Jehoiada's son. The king gives his assent. The king gives his agreement that they have to get rid of him, and so he commands that Jehoiada's son, Zechariah, would be stoned and killed. And Jehoaz, here's the problem, it says right in the text, did not remember the kindness of Jehoiada, and he killed his son. So it's almost like he completely forgot about the influence of Zechariah's father on him. He ignored that and had his son killed. That says a lot about Jehoaz's heart, doesn't it? And Zechariah proclaimed, the Lord look on it and repay as he died. Now, what is Zechariah doing here? He's placing himself in the hands of God and asking God to bring justice for his wrong death. That's what's going on here. He's basically giving it to the Lord to bring the vengeance because he is being unjustly killed. Well, the next year, Syria invaded Judah, killed her leaders, 
and took away great plunder. So these leaders who had conspired against Zechariah, the next year they're dead. Why? Syria comes in, attacks, kills them, and leaves with great plunder. Here's the other interesting thing. The Lord allowed Syria to do great harm to Judah, even though they were greatly outnumbered. So God is the one who allowed them to do this. Why? Because of what he said in the law. If you don't follow me, I will forsake you and give you over to your enemies. And here's an enemy that comes. Judah has more forces that could have easily dealt with him, but God gave Syria the victory. God allowed them to do that as punishment. When Syria withdrew, they left Jehoash wounded. So, yeah, the other leaders have been killed off, but the king himself is wounded now. Well, at this point, we're going to see a shift in the text. And so there's going to be a difference between each one of the texts. So for Kings, the writer of Kings lists where the details of Jehoash's reign are recorded. So the writer of Kings will tell you that his details are recorded in the writings of Chronicles. Okay, Now, Chronicles, Kings will mention it a little bit, but they don't get into the specifics like Chronicles does. Jehoash's servants formed a conspiracy against him and murdered him. So there's this conspiracy in the house of David by the servants to get rid of the king. The chronicler records that the two conspirators were an Ammonite and a Moabite. Now you say, how's that possible? Well, these are probably servants or slaves of some sort, but they are the ones who can basically kill the king. It says, again, that Jehoash was buried in Jerusalem, but not with his fathers. So he wasn't buried with honors, folks. That tells you a lot about him. Remember, we've seen this happen before with other kings of Judah. They were not buried with their fathers, and that is because there was, they were not good kings. So ultimately, here's a guy who starts out good, but he allows others to influence him in a wrong way, and he ends up bad, so much so that when he's buried, he's not given the honors of being buried with his father. And when Jehoash was murdered, his son Amaziah became king of Judah. So now we come to the point where Amaziah takes the throne of David. Now that brings us to the conclusion of our lesson 17. Next week, as we move into lesson 18, we're going to put our focus back up on the uh, house of Jehu or the dynasty of Jehu in the northern kingdom. And so we're going to look at that next week.